Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. The Hispanic community is the nation's largest racial and ethnic minority. It's time health research included your voice. That's why the All of Us research program exists. If you participate in All of Us, not only would you help your community, you can also receive your free genetic ancestry trait results. With this information and more, researchers may be able to conduct a variety of studies about health and diseases that affect the Hispanic community. Visit joinallofus.org slash your health to contribute. Again, joinallofus.org slash your health. Welcome to another episode of It's Not a Crisis, a podcast for women in their 40s seeking to navigate midlife's challenges while making the most of it. I am your host, Doran Wallach, and I want to thank you very, very much for listening. It really, truly means a lot to me that people are listening to this and um, being helped by my podcast. That's incredibly rewarding and feels like I'm giving back and doing something great. So selfishly, thank you. Um, Today, we are getting real about this time in our lives and learning how to do the work now so that we don't live as bitter old women that have given every piece of ourselves with nothing left to give. Not sure if you guys feel that way, but there are many days where I just feel done with everything (laughs) Um, and and just kind of want to run away. So I I don't want to feel that way anymore. I want to be able to learn how to take care of myself, take care of my family, and um, not be that person. So before I get to today's guest, I just want to please remind you to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, as well as rate, comment, and please also pass it along to your friends, because the more women that know about the show, the more women we can all inspire and help. And that makes me very happy, and I'm sure it would make you happy to help some friends. So please do that. I would really appreciate it. And also, if you can follow me at It's Not a Crisis Podcast on both Insta and Facebook. We also have a private group on Facebook. And while my website still needs a ton of work, I actually just asked somebody to help me with that. Uh, you can sign up on my mailing list on the site right now. So it's it's itsnotacrisis.com. Please don't judge the position that it's in at the moment. So today's guest, Maisie Robinson, got in touch with me. And and most of the time, I seek out my guests. And they're women that I know and have worked with. Or, you know, I I may have read a book, and I'm trying to get in touch with the author. um, Things that really have inspired me and things that I want to learn from. But Maisie's email really captured me. And I wanted to reach out and speak with her first. And in the short time that we spoke, I was literally smiling ear to ear the entire time and then shaking my head going, yes, yes, yes. So I really think you're going to find this episode inspiring and uplifting and hopefully change the path you're currently on to live a more fulfilled life. Maisie Robinson is a licensed professional counselor and speaker specializing in helping women discover their true voice as they navigate self-worth, self-esteem challenges, relationship concerns, and life stage transitions. In addition to her work as a therapist, Maisie maintains an active speaking schedule presenting workshops on topics such as anxiety, healing, healthy relationships, personal growth, and purposeful living. 
She's also a certified Daring Way facilitator presenting workshops and retreats based on the research and methodology of Dr. Brene Brown to individuals and groups. Maisie is the founder and director of Cultivate. Through its counseling center and bi-monthly gatherings, Cultivate encourages women to cultivate joy, courage, and freedom in their lives as they pursue emotional, mental, and spiritual health. Maisie, welcome to the show. I am so happy to have you here, and I think you're going to help so many women, so this is really exciting. Oh, wow. Well, thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here, so thank you, thank you. You're welcome. So as you know, and my listeners know, um, I started this podcast because I felt like it's been, this has been the one time in my life where there are so many transitions and yet so little support for women our age in our 40s. And, and somehow we're all silent about the many things our bodies and minds are going through right now. So I'd love to start by talking about why this midlife transition is so significant for women. And and by the way, I, when I say midlife, I don't really feel like I fit in there, but I do. <laughs> so yeah, right. Right. like, who are we talking about here? Not me. I'm not midlife, but I am. I think the midlife transition for women is incredibly significant. And you're right. It's a, it's a little bit of an awkward thing to say I'm in midlife transition because I think when we think of midlife, we still think of that old image of midlife, like a woman who's kind of more gray than she isn't gray and and uh, maybe starting to slow down a little bit in life and, and those sorts of things. And that is not uh, a woman in their 40s in 2020. And so to, to think of ourselves in midlife, it doesn't quite fit with this image of an aging woman because I know for myself, I don't feel like I'm aging, but I have to say, I love being in my 40s because, you know, I am a grown ass woman now. <laughs> so that- oh, wait, isn't it great? I actually, I, my mom always told me I'd love my 40s and I don't, I didn't get what she meant. And, and, and I'm turning 43 in a, a few weeks uh-huh. and um, I didn't understand, like I turned 40 and I expected this like big surprise that everything was going to change. <laughs> and I, and I, which is so ridiculous, but um, I, as with every year that goes on, I, I see this like new, this sense of confidence and not caring yeah. as much about what people think anymore. And, and the more I get to that, that place in my life, the more I want to start working on myself, which is, yeah you know, why you're here, because I think that what you said to me on the phone before we talked was just so amazing. Yes, yes. And so that gets into um, why the midlife transition is so important and significant and really kind of a beautiful thing. The way that I conceptualize midlife transition is it's really a death and a rebirth. You know, this these couple of decades here, starting in our 40s and moving through our 50s and even into our early 60s, it is a time of life, it's a season of life where we have the opportunity to become more introspective. We have the opportunity to look back at the first half of our life and go, okay, what worked? What didn't work? Uh, what was a coping mechanism that helped me then? but maybe isn't serving me well now? What was a way that I interacted with people uh, in my relationships that I thought was good then, but is no longer beneficial for me now? So it's an opportunity to look at what we need to let go of, really what we need to allow to die, 
so that we can be reborn, so that this true authentic self can be born, can be reborn. Because I think what happens in, you know, if we want to go all the way back, and what happens in adolescence, what happens in our 20s, and, and even in our 30s, is that we are absorbing a lot of messages. We're, particularly for women, we're absorbing mes- messages about how to be um, easygoing, low maintenance go with the flow, right? Those are kind of the qualities that are often held up as likable. And, you know, in the first part of life, we are bombarded with messages that as women, we want to be likable. To be unlikable is kind of death in of itself, right? That's that's the whole conundrum of middle school, right? And so we begin to engage in all these behaviors to make ourselves likable. We become people pleasers. We don't always have good boundaries. We say yes when we don't really want to say no. We uh, begin to read the room, every room we walk into. How do I need to calibrate myself so that I can be as funny as these people expect me to be or so I can be as serious as these people expect me to be or so I can be as strong as these people expect me to be or how I can be as quiet as these people expect me to be. And so there's just a lot of role playing uh, that we can find ourselves in in the first half of of life. And sometimes, uh, let's be honest, that serves us well. And then more often than not, it eventually causes us pain. And so then we get into our 40s and we have this realization that, oh, wow, I'm a grown ass woman. Like, I don't have to ask for permission anymore. Like, I'm a full-fledged adult. Nobody can pat me on the head anymore and call me sweetheart. And we realize, wow, I have the opportunity to figure out who I am, which means I am going to have to go through what can be a painful process of figuring out who I've been trying to be. And that painful process of, whoa, why do I people please? Why do I try to over accommodate? Why do I avoid conflict at all costs? Why do I stuff my feelings? And what exactly am I stuffing? And the way that I numb my feelings is that now hurting me. And so that then we can begin to unpack all of that, let go of that and step into and discover who we really are and who we want to be in this second half of life. You know, and I don't think that that's actually possible to almost do before this part of our lives. I think that you really have to be, uh, you know, gifted with the age of your 40s and beyond to really feel like you want to do that work. And I think that probably for some people it happens automatically and some people kind of need a nudge to remind them that, okay, you know, now is your time to look forward, right? And, and yeah. start living in a different way. Yes, yes, I would completely agree. Because if you think about it, in our 20s and 30s, we are going through rapid life transitions, you know, and so it's really like just I got to keep up, you know, Um, in our early 20s, we graduate from college, we move, we maybe move a couple of times to different cities within that city. For a lot of people, they'll get married in their 20s or more at some point in their 30s. For a lot of people, they'll have children, maybe they'll move again, maybe they'll change jobs, maybe they'll even begin to shift into a different career. And so it's a lot of change for about 20 years. And then you get into your 40s and things begin to to slow down. It's not that life becomes slow, but the rapid fire change begins to slow down. And so you do have the opportunity to become a to look at yourself, to look in the mirror a little bit. But also I think in our 40s and and in our 50s, the changes that we experience 
are significant in a different way than marriage and family in our 20s and 30s. Because when we move into our 40s and 50s, for a lot of women, and unfortunately, I don't have a stat on this, but for a lot of women, they uh, may get divorced in that time frame. You know, the midlife divorce, the empty nest divorce is very common. For a lot of women, that is when they're going to enter into empty nesthood. And so that is a, a huge life transition for women who have children because, you know, moving into empty nesthood, even if it's something that you have been like marking off the days on your calendar mm-hmm. until your kids move out of the house, the reality is that is forced retirement. And whether you're ready to, to give up the role of full-time mom or not, you're, you're done as, as full-time mom. And so that's a huge transition that maybe there is a lot of excitement and anticipation of what is my life going to look like now? What is my marriage going to look like now in empty nesthood? But there's also the grief and loss of, whoa, this role and this full-time responsibility is no longer here. And then also as we move into our 40s and 50s, we become part of what's known as the sandwich generation. You know, as our parents age and pass, and that's a huge uh, life transition and experience of losing a parent and walking a parent through um, uh, illness and as they age. And so the, the life transitions that we experience and we potentially experience in our 40s and 50s are just different than the life transitions we experience, those rapid fire changes from our earlier years. And they're the type of existential life transitions where you stop and you ask, whoa, okay, who am I now? Um, And that doesn't quite happen in our 20s and 30s. Right. uh, That's so true. And I also feel like um, we, I think as women, we're, we're obviously not all mothers of kids that are leaving the house, but you know, there are women who may have never had kids or there are women in their forties who are just having kids. But I think, I think regardless of even that, I think that we're all dealing with similar things as far as our parents and taking care Mm -hmm. of our parents all of a sudden. And, and, and it's the same time trying to figure out who we are. And I I also want to mention just to, to piggyback on what you just said, I, you know, I feel like uh, my daughter who's almost 13 um, is starting to need me less. And Mm -hmm. while I've, you know, was a working mom and for many years I was not, I was a stay at home mom and have found um, that when I was the busiest at work, she probably needed me more. And now that, Mm -hmm. you know, she's needing me less, you know, I'm thinking about slowing down work. I mean, there's so many uh, different changes going on at once that your head could explode. Yeah. What are the top things that you've seen women struggling with at our age? And then I'd love to talk about how we transition in a positive way and, and what that looks like. I think that's a great question. And so what I've observed in working with my clients in terms of the top things that we struggle with, I think it is relationships and who we are. Uh, in those relationships, how we are interacting in those relationships. And then I would also say identity and self-worth. And and then if I could add a third one, I would add purpose in there, which I think is very closely tied to um, identity and self-worth. And so those are the, the three most common things that I see women in, in midlife struggle with. You know, who am I in these relationships? I have these relationships, you know, at this point in our 40s and 50s, a lot of the relationships in our lives, we have been in that relationship for a long time. And so, you know, maybe there's the 
there's some some cracks in the relationship. Maybe there are some bruises in the relationship, a little bit of broken trust. Maybe the relationship is just not as alive as it used to be. And so, wow, does that mean I stay in the relationship for the next 40 years of my life? That doesn't sound terribly exciting, but I don't want to leave the relationship. And so just a, a lot of questions about who am I in connection with these people that are important to me. And then the, the whole topic of and concept of self-worth and identity, because for a lot of us, just as humans, we do this. We attach our self-worth to external things in our life. And, you know, maybe it's a career. Maybe it's a salary. Maybe it's where we live. Maybe it's having children or how many children we have or what our children are doing. Maybe it's our relationship status. And by the time we get into our 40s and 50s, what we have realized is, oh, these these external things that I've been trying to hang my identity and self-worth on, those aren't very stable. And, and they kind of fall down. And when they fall down, so does my self-worth and my identity. And so it's this realization of, oh, wow, perhaps I need to detach my self-worth from these external things. And so then that begins the journey of really digesting this truth that my self-worth is unchanging, unshakable. Whether I am married, whether I am divorced, whether I have a good relationship with my teenager, whether I have a bad relationship with my teenager, whether I've been at the same company since I was 23, or whether I've changed jobs 15 times in 20 years, none of that impacts my worth. My worth is unchanging. It is unshakable. And when we begin to digest that truth, that really frees us from a lot of the things that throughout our life have tried to imprison us. Um, it frees us from the fear of criticism, from the fear of rejection, from the fear of judgment, from the fear of messing up, from the fear of not being good enough. And when we begin to free ourselves from those fears, then we can step into this freedom of discovering who I really am and what, what I want my purpose to be in this second half of life. And, and just in general, we find more freedom in life as we begin to really honestly look in the mirror and go, okay, what have I been attaching my self-worth, my identity to? I think the other thing that I would add in there, you know, for women who are thinking, okay, yeah, I, I'm wanting to make some changes. I'm feeling some angst, some tension in my life, but where do I start? I would, I would look at the pain points, like where in your life are you experiencing the most distress? Is it in your relationships? Is it in some friendships? Is it in your dating relationships? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your relationship with your aging parents? Is it in your career? Pay attention to the pain in your life. Because again, in your 20s and 30s, it's really easy to mask pain because, you know, in your 20s, you can go out a lot, right? And then in your 30s, if you're raising kids, oh my goodness, you know, you can just totally focus on those kids and ignore your pain. But in your 40s, as we talked about, because time changes and our relationship with time can change, that pain becomes louder. And so rather than trying to numb or ignore or avoid the pain, I think this is the time in, in our life where we turn to it and we go, okay, I hate my job. Maybe I shouldn't hate my job as much as I hate my job. Let me pay attention to this pain and let me listen to what this pain is trying to tell me. And that is often 
it's at that entry point that we begin to realize, okay, this is the transition I need to begin to step into. This is the baggage that I need to begin to unpack. And how do you decipher between, I I really, the reason I named my podcast what it is, is I really dislike Mm -hmm. midlife crisis. Um, Uh Because I think that whenever, I know for myself and I talk to my girlfriends all the time, I feel like whenever we're in a moment where we're like, you know what, I just want to start doing something for myself, or I I really want to start working, or I want to stop working, or I want to, you know, I I am reevaluating my relationship, or a friend, you know, I'm I'm like at an age where I'm not going to keep friends that aren't good friends anymore. But Mm -hmm. I I find my girlfriends um, stopping themselves in these moments and being like, oh, I must just be going through a midlife crisis. And I, I, I think there's something, I, I'd love to hear your opinion on that because I, I, yes, there's the cliche midlife crisis that everybody talks about, but at the same time, I think there's so much more to that, mm-hmm. whether you're a man mm-hmm. or a woman. And, um, and I think we need to be okay with saying we're going through this transition without mm-hmm. calling it a crisis, you know? So I, yes. I think we need to re- I think the world needs to change the way we look at this. Yeah, I agree. I think midlife crisis is a very negative term. I think it indicates that something is wrong, uh, that something bad has happened. And and I agree with you. I think it, it's misleading and it's not helpful for us. Um, and I much prefer the, the phrase of midlife transition, or if you want to get really, you know, deep and therapy-ish, you know, I like the term midlife rebirth. Oh, I love that. I should have called that. I should have called my podcast that. <laughs> Where were you when I was naming it? <laughs> <laughs> because I do see it as an opportunity of for rebirth. It's an opportunity to let go of the things that are no longer serving us well, the habits, the patterns that are no longer serving us well, so that we can step in to this true self, so that we can step into a healthier self, a more whole self, um, because it's not a crisis. However, it can feel scary when you realize, oh my goodness, I'm a people pleaser and I don't even know what I like because for 40 years of my life, whenever someone asks me, what do I want on my pizza? I always say, oh, whatever you're getting is fine. And so I don't know what I want on my pizza. And so that is a very frightening realization. Oh my goodness, I am 40 years old and I don't know what I like on my pizza. And that can feel like a crisis to us. But again, I think if we see it as an opportunity, an opportunity to learn what we like and what we dislike, an opportunity to learn how to be assertive, an opportunity to learn how to share what we're thinking and feeling, an opportunity to free ourselves from some lies that we have been believing um, throughout um, throughout our, our life. And, you know, one of the things that I have observed, and uh, this is what I like to call Maisie theory, <laughs> there's not um, concrete research to back up this theory. This is just my observation in my client work and just observing uh, people around me. But I think how we, as women, how we navigate midlife transition, um, I think it really influences how we end up living in the final years of our lives. So what I mean by that is, you know, if you look at women, if you look at older women, and by older, 
Uh, I mean, women in their, you know, late 70s, 80s. If you look at women in that age demographic, what I have observed, and this is a huge generalization that I'm sure, you know, somebody will be like, well, that's not fair to categorize, but this is my observation, is that you often find women in one of two categories. You find some women who are very much um, at peace. They, they know what brings themselves joy. Um, they know how to take care of themselves. They engage in activities that bring joy and comfort. Um, they have a lot of contentment. They are enjoying life. And then I think you can have women on the other end of the spectrum that are the stereotypical kind of cranky, bitter old woman who gets annoyed by everything, has a lot of judgment, and is very critical. And I think that how we move through midlife transition determines which of those women we end up becoming. And if we go through this period in midlife transition of death and rebirth, letting go of the, the old ways that are no longer serving us and doing the, the hard work of rebirth and figuring out who we are, figuring out how to engage in relationships in a healthy way, then we can become that older woman who is peaceful and content and filled with joy. But when we resist the transition of death and rebirth, and we continue to people, please, we continue to over-accommodate, we continue to stuff our feelings, we continue to ignore um, unhealthy patterns in relationships, then we are going to end up 84 years old and really bitter and really resentful. And we're going to have this undercurrent of belief of, well, I've stuffed my feelings for years, you need to suck it up too. Or I did this, and so you need to do it too. And, and it creates that judgment and that bitterness and, and that resentment. And so it is very important how we move through this season of life because it will bear fruit in our final years. And we want to bear good fruit in those final years. Absolutely. I um, So personally, I found um, until recently, and I'm completely open about this because everybody's in therapy, but, um, I, and I, you know, have been on and off in therapy most of my twenties and thirties. And I, I don't think I was with the right therapist. Um, and, and, and somebody said to me, uh, it was somebody who referred me to this therapist. She said, you need somebody who's going to call you out on your shit, excuse me, but, but do it in a constructive way. Yes. And, I realize that for for every therapist that I've ever been with, I've I haven't been able to be a hundred percent like uh you know upfront with my fears or anxieties or who I am um, mm. out of fear of being called out. And so w- when I heard those words, I was like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, you're in an age like just do it because you want you know at that stage mm-hmm. of life you really want to be called out so that you can work on it. So I think for me that first step was really important, and I also think. Um, once I was able to allow mm-hmm. somebody to see that side of me, then I was able to mm-hmm. dig into my childhood, my upbringing, mm-hmm. my twenties, my thirties, talk about, you know, mm-hmm. why I became the way I did. This is a lifelong work in progress. Nobody, you know, I think when I was younger, I expected that the, you know, you go to therapy, the problems resolved, you move on. It, that's not the way it works. You're, you're, you should be, you know, every decade you should look back and go, Oh God, what did I do that decade? Okay. I'm going to learn from that and move on to this next decade. My mother always tells me that and she's right. What would be your first piece of advice for a, 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 you know, a woman in a position right now who's like, okay, it's time. Like, I, I really 
I really do want the future to be much brighter and I want to be happy. Where do I even begin? Because I think it's very overwhelming uh, with, with, with social media today and, and everything else. I think it's, it's overwhelming. It's, it's overwhelming to find a therapist even that you gel with and who has time to interview therapists, you know? So, so I'd love to hear your point of view on that. Yes, I do think um, entering therapy and midlife is is the one of the best gifts you can give to yourself. And having a therapist who one understands midlife and understands uh, midlife transition for a woman, I think, is very important. Um, but having a therapist who is going to lovingly hold up that mirror and say, "Well, really, Let, let's look at this." Let's take a good, long, hard look in the mirror and then walk with you as a companion as you gain that insight and put that insight into practice. Um, because with midlife, there is a lot of um, grief and loss because the, the changes that we experience are they have loss um, as an undercurrent in general. And so it, it is helpful to have someone to have someone walk alongside you that can be that companion that can point things out and go, Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. That happened. Now, now what do you think you were feeling right here? When you said that, when you came back in that manner, when y'all were having that discussion, what, what got triggered for you right there? And just having someone help you gain that self-awareness so that you are aware of, Ooh, yes, that made me angry or Ooh, in that moment I was anxious. And so that we can start responding rather than reacting. And that's a whole big part of, of living as our true self as well. But I think having a good therapist is a wonderful gift to yourself. I think beginning to read books on midlife transition uh, is another wonderful gift of just learning about what are all the things we're, we're feeling and we're going through, but both uh, in our bodies and in our minds in midlife transition, reading memoirs of other people who have gone through midlife transition, and really just having that posture of opening yourself up of, okay, the first part of adulthood was laying the foundation for my life, so to speak. And this season in adulthood is going to be about learning and kind of an, an open hand posture of learning and receiving so that I can build the next level, uh, so to speak. But uh, yes, I'm a big fan of therapy um, for midlife. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's exciting in a way. I mean, I, I mm -hmm. you know, I, I think I, I went from sort of, Oh God, I'm turning 40 to like, Oh, this is great. You know? And I think that, l listen, I mean, there are moments where I'm like, Oh my God, my kids are going to go to college. And then uh, blah, what am I going to do? <laughs> and I'm, and I, you know, I, I have my own thing going on. My kids aren't the only thing in my life, but you know, they're obviously the biggest part of my life in, in every way, my whole family, my husband too. But I, I think that, you know, if we can really, take a step and a step back and, and say, okay, we deserve this part of our lives to be more positive and to, to be fulfilled. I think though, I, I think the biggest challenge is what, what does that mean? And how long is it going to take us to get to figure out what that means? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And one, one other thing that I would add is, you know, in addition to therapy, in addition to learning and listening, I think giving yourself permission to try things. We aren't 
always that great at trying new things in our 20s and 30s because we're often very focused on getting to those mile markers of first job, first house, first, you know, getting married, kids moving, you know, we want to get to those mile markers. And so, and we want to do it well, you know, perfectionism can really creep in, in that season of life. And so in this season of life, giving yourself permission to try things and you don't have to be good at it. Perfectionism isn't the goal. Turning it into a business isn't a goal, but take a class, take an art class, take, um, take a photography class um, to let yourself just try new things and almost like you're lifting the lids on boxes, like what are all the, the boxes within myself that I've just never lifted the box? Just, I've never lifted the lid to see what's in there. I, that Because uh, giving yourself permission to try something is a wonderful step in courage and vulnerability. And that's a lot of what we want to cultivate in midlife is we want to have the courage to be vulnerable um, to, you know, and vulnerability in the sense of, I'm going to say no. That can feel like a very vulnerable thing to say no to a loved one. I'm going to share with a loved one um, how I feel. That can that's a very vulnerable thing. Boundaries, boundaries. I boundaries. A very hard thing to start doing, and and a very empowering thing when you do it. Yes, absolutely. Because it feels very scary. How is this person going to react? Um, You know, are they going to get mad? Are they going to reject me? Are they going to stomp off? But yes, you know, giving ourselves the permission to to try boundaries. Um, so that that try element and you know trying new things, I think, is also a, an important part um, of self care and, and moving through this transition. This is so true, and uh, I brought this up on my first podcast when I was introing what the podcast was going to be about. Um, but, but my therapist is also an art therapist and by background, I'm, I'm very creative, but I had a very critical art school experience and it always made me feel like I was terrible at fine art and that I had to decipher the difference between art and design and I could design, but I couldn't do art. Anyway, she, um, she really encouraged me to start watercolor classes. And I was, I looked at her like, no way. I, first of all, I'm not good at it. Second of all, it's messy and unpredictable. I have no, it, I I just don't like it. I can remember as a kid, not liking the water getting into my little pots and and mixing up the colors. Um, I was such a perfectionist even then. And, and she's encouraged. So I I took a six week class. I, I, before I took the class, I watched hours of YouTube videos on watercolor before I even attempted to buy a brush because I wanted to make sure I knew what I was doing. I'm not saying this is for everybody, but for me, this has been such a test for me because I can't, it's very hard for me to both look at something and paint it or just come up with something in my own head. But it's taught me so much about myself and getting over this perfectionism and just doing something that would be relaxing if I could let go of those things. And so it's been, it's been a really interesting experiment. I still, even in this pandemic, I haven't really picked up a paintbrush. It almost makes me more anxious because I'm like, what do I do? How do I do it? I'm not am I doing it right. But I could see how when you start to get into it and you gain that confidence, how it could be something really relaxing. But so starting, trying something new is, is important. You know, I think it, 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 no matter what it is, if it's art, if it's, you know, jumping out of a plane, whatever it is, it's going to teach you about yourself. Yes, absolutely. And it's going to teach you, I can, 
Yeah. Um, and, and just that two word phrase is so powerful. I can, I can do this. I can try new things. I can survive making a mistake. I can survive failing at something. Um, but I, I can. And that is such an empowering thought that is so important for us to really internalize. Uh, but yeah, I love that. I love that you started taking watercolor classes. Yeah. Something like that. Or, or, Starting yoga. Maybe you've always wanted to do yoga and, and starting yoga. Or maybe you've always thought, wouldn't it be fun to run a marathon? So start running. Or maybe you always wanted to try a Zumba class, but you were afraid and felt insecure. Just try one Zumba class, you know, just to try. Mm-hmm. And even in, uh, this sounds this sounds so ridiculous, but I think even in your clothes, like, you know, the women come into their own style in their 40s. If if there's some, by the way, I can't tell you how much of my life I've preached how awful Birkenstocks are and I'd never wear them and they're disgusting. And like, you'll never, ca- you know, never say never because now I have three pairs and I, and I claim to my husband, I'm like, I actually think there's kind of a hippie in me that I didn't realize, <laughs> like sort of into the, it's not even just the shoes, it's the mentality and the living and everything. It's <laughs> There's a lot of different ways to try new things once you have confidence and you don't care what people think of you. And the other thing she told me, by the way, was don't put your art on Instagram. She said, if it's good or it's bad, just don't like, you don't, this is for you. This is for nobody but you. You don't need to have validation. You don't need to you know, feel, and, and I haven't done that. And it's really, I don't even show my kids cause they can be a little critical. So if you're going to try something new, I would say, don't, you don't need to tell anyone, just go do it and keep it to yourself and see how you feel about it. Cause I think once you're influenced by your peers, it changes the dynamic of what you're doing. Yes. I think there's so much truth to that of, you almost want to look at it as like, I'm going to protect this. I'm going to protect this this watercolor class, this Zumba class, this my new yoga practice, I'm going to protect it from the world and from the because the world wants to to grade it, the world wants to evaluate it, the world wants to judge it, the world wants to tell me how it's better, it, it could be better. And and I want to protect it from all of that because I just want to find joy in it. And the world wants to try to tell me that joy is found in perfection. And that's one of those lies that we can buy into big time. And so I love that. Like, just go and take the class. You don't have to tell anybody you're you're doing it. Um, and then maybe someday, if you want to take that step of courage and put it on Instagram as a way of, of, of practicing vulnerability, you know, do that. But at that point, you're doing it as a step in vulnerability, not a step looking for approval. And uh, so, yeah, I love the idea of doing some of this stuff for you giving yourself permission to, to discover the joy in doing it for you, not for approval, not for validation, not to be better than somebody else, but for you and for your soul. Going back to relationships, um, what piece of advice, and, and, I, and I know, Maisie, this is what you meant, relationships don't, and you, you had said this, relationships don't just mean the relationship with your spouse or partner. It's friendships, it's your parents, it's your siblings, it's it's everybody. And um, I know that I have made changes. There are, are friendships that I have closed and there are friends that I'm there for more than others. And there are, you know, there's work that I've done in my marriage. Um, there's work I've done within my relationships with my parents and my siblings. So how does one even begin to start to change those after, especially relationships that we've been in for most of our lives. How do you, know, how do you change that all of a sudden 
when you're expected to be one way and you're really feeling another. Yes, when you're expected to be one way and you're realizing, ooh, this this box is feeling a little cramped for me. This role is feeling a little cramped for me. Um, well, I would start off by saying, you know, our relationships in this season of life are incredibly important. You know, particularly with our, with our friendships, I'll kind of start there. Our friendships are so, so important. And I think with friendships, it's, it's healthy to recognize we are going to experience some shifts in friendship. And that's kind of more facts than, than good or bad. And just recognizing that some people are going to move in and out of our circle. And, you know, there are going to be some people in our lives that we've known for 20, 30 years, and we love them to death, but they're not necessarily the person that we're going to call when we're really wrestling with something. And so just kind of recognizing who our friends are to us, you know, these friends, these are my inner circle. They know my history. They know my story. They know my struggles. They know my dreams. And to remember that our inner circle is very, very small, like two, three, maybe four people are in that inner circle. And then we have that second circle of friends, which those are good friends. And more people are going to be in that circle. You know, these are our friends that we socialize with, that we see frequently, that we have shared common interests that we share some things with, but maybe not the super vulnerable things. And then we have that third outer circle of, of acquaintances, you know, and these are people we see occasionally, maybe we've known forever, but we don't see them that often. And just to recognize that those circles are not built with brick walls, like people are going to flow in and out of that circle. And that is okay. And we may recognize that for years, we've been trying to put Sally in our inner circle but maybe Sally just doesn't belong in the inner circle because Sally never follows through on anything. <laughs> and we need a friend who's consistent and good on follow through. And so maybe Sally moves into that good friend circle. And so, our, you know, recognizing what are we looking for in our friendships are, and are our expectations of these friends realistic given how this friend has historically interacted with us. And then however we answer that, you know, just kind of recalibrating how we view that friend, that friendship. And I, then I think with our family relationships, that is just a whole giant bag. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yes, it is. <laughs> you know, because man alive, there's a lot of history there. There's a lot of water <laughs> under the, the bridge there. And, you know, for better, for worse, there are a lot of wounds there. And there are a lot of good memories too. And so, you know, in this season of life, really uh, working through some of the wounds that resurfaced, understanding that wound, um, I think a big part, I think this is always a big part of being an adult child, but it is um, the, the journey of seeing our parents as human and taking them off of that pedestal that we maybe had them on as children and recognizing they they are human, yes. which means they're flawed, which means they made mistakes. They made mistakes. And so how, as an adult child who is in relationship with the parent, how do I see them as this flawed human being? And how do I accept them as they are and we move forward in the relationship and we don't keep replaying the past and, and kind of getting stuck in the past, you know, kind of the idea of radical acceptance of our parents. And that doesn't mean that we accept 
harmful behavior. It doesn't mean that we accept abusive behavior. It doesn't mean that we are, are doormats. It's actually the, the opposite. How do we have healthy boundaries with family members so that we can engage in a way that is kind and generous of spirit, but we are holding on to our true self. We're not feeling forced into being that role of people pleaser or being that role of the perfect child, but we we recognize who these loved ones are in our life. We practice that radical acceptance and we move forward accordingly. Yeah, the family of origin work in midlife is really, really significant because, and it can feel very scary for some people. Talk about crisis. That's where a lot of people can feel the crisis because they recognize, oh, some stuff happened in the past and I don't want to go there. I don't want to take my parents off the pedestal. I don't want to unpack the suitcase. I don't want to clean out the scar tissue. But we have to begin to do that to find the freedom, to find the healing um, so that we can move into a healthier relationship with our family members. Oh my God, this is so right on. It's so right on. And I think that everybody has to do this work. I truly Mm -hmm. believe it because Mm -hmm. until you can forgive and understand for, for, I think before forgiveness, you have to really go to the root. I read this book and it spoke so much to me about my parents and their generation and their parents' generation. So it was how their parents parented them and then how they parented us. And Mm -hmm. the book my mother's going to kill me because she's going to be like, you weren't neglected, but it, it wasn't about being a neglect. It, it was about being a neglected child, but it was not, I didn't read it for that reason per se. I read it. I read it for the understanding more of how I was parented and how my parents were parented. And it, it, it allowed me to realize, yes, my parents are human as I am human. And I make a lot of mistakes as a parent all the time. We all do. And, you know, in every role of relationship, but it allowed me to understand where they came from. And I think I got that, you know, just, just looking at generations and what parenting was supposed to be like. And, and once you understand kind of where they came from and how they parented you, you're able to understand even more about how you're going to parent your children or how you are parenting your children, but also to, you're right just to say, okay, they're human and they did the best they could. And I forgive them for things in my twenties I was judgy about and, you know, you know, maybe angry about, and you realize that it was eye opening to me. And this only happened in the past year. And um, not to say that you don't go back and forth, but I do think that everybody uh, should be able to discover that in order to move forward. Yes, exactly. Because you're so correct that our parents were raised very differently than we were, but our parents also lived, when they were adults, they lived in a very different world than we are living in as adults, you know, because we are living in a world that, you know, from a mental health perspective is all about vulnerability and identifying your feelings and getting to know yourself and conscious parenting and and all these things. And that was not going on in the 60s, 70s and 80s when our parents were were our age. And so, you know, recognizing that I I may want my father to to sit down and have a conversation and, and hear my feelings and hear where I'm coming from. And and he may be able to do that and he may not be able to do that. And if he's not able to do that, it has nothing to do with me. 
and his love for me, it has to do with the fact that no one ever taught him how to do it. And at 70, 80 years old, it really is hard to teach a new dog, an old dog, new tricks. And so just, just understanding that. And again, I'm not saying to excuse bad behavior. There are bad parents are out there. Right. Exactly. Um, I, I also didn't mean to say that because there, yeah. there are parents that do deserve to not have the relationship. Right. right. But I think, you know, that can be a real free moment of, oh, my father or my mother can't engage with me, can't give me what I want, not because I'm less than, not because they don't love me. They simply don't know how because of their own past, because of their own upbringing. And that's why I think another big task of just all adulthood is this whole idea of reparenting ourselves, giving ourselves what we recognize that maybe we did not receive as children. Um, Back last fall when we were still living and going outdoors. (laughs) Yeah, I I forgot what that was like. (laughs) I know, I know. Back in the day, I went to a training up in Boston with Terry Reel, who is just a a fabulous um, therapist. He's a researcher and an author, and he um, has created this method of couples therapy called relational life therapy. And it's fabulous. And he said something that I thought was really profound. He said, you know, up until you're 18 years old, what happens to you is not your fault. You're a minor, you're young, it's not your fault. But post 18, after 18, it is your responsibility to heal it. And, and I thought, wow, that, that really is true because I think what a lot of people can get stuck in is they can get stuck in blaming their parents because they've been hurt and that is understandable. But at some point we do have to step into that process of healing ourselves, of reparenting ourselves because that is where we then find freedom in our own journey and where we find peace and that radical acceptance of this is who this person is. And so now knowing that, how am I going to engage with this person? If that all kind of makes sense. And and do it before it's too late. You know, our parents were getting older. And so when I started doing this work, I had a lot of questions and I needed to sit down and have a real adult conversation with both my mom and my dad and say, you know, hey, what was happening here? And what was it like for you growing up? And, and really try, and, and it's just, made my love even stronger than it ever was for my parents because it's helped me to understand them on an adult level. And I think, I think you need to do that now and not, you know, you don't, don't start doing this work when they're gone. I think it's the the time to do it. Yes. I completely agree. Now, now is the time when you still have the opportunities to have these conversations, when you have the opportunity to try different ways of interacting. um, Now is the time. Uh, yeah, completely agree on that. I could talk to you for hours. I ever say this to every one of my guests, by the way, I could talk to anyone for hours if I, if they're interesting and and I get along with them. (laughs) Um, but you know, we could go on and on and on, on, on all of these topics. So before you go, I ask all of my guests this, I'm changing the question a little bit. What would you tell your younger self today? If you had the chance, I usually say you're 30 something or 40 something, but just your younger self in general, what would you say to your younger self? I think what I would say to my younger self is that um, there will be pain and none of it will be wasted Mm. and you will be blown away at how every ounce of pain, every chapter and page of your story will eventually be used 
You just have to keep walking. I love that, Maisie. That's so beautiful. It's true. And, uh, you know, every, every, I try to teach my kids that I say, you know, every mistake you make and everything that hurts, you know, you learn from it and you grow and it doesn't feel like it in the moment, but it's, it's so true. And that's something when you're younger, you just don't believe until you get a little older. So thank you for that. I, I think my last question for you would just be um, kind of in conclusion, what would be your biggest, I know we talked about small ways to get started. If you could take one small piece of advice of of starting this journey, what would you say to the listeners? I would say be curious. Just begin to engage in a posture of curiosity. Be curious about what you're feeling. Ask yourself, how am I feeling? When you get mad at something, huh, why did I get mad about that? Um, To be curious, not to be judgmental, um, not to uh, be critical of yourself. You know, so it's not what's wrong with me that I got so mad right then. It's, huh, I really got mad right then. What's that about? And so a posture of curiosity to be emotionally curious, to be curious about what you're thinking, to be curious about why do I keep interacting with this person in this same way, and I always walk away disappointed. What is that about? What am I looking for there that I think I'm going to get this time, but I still don't get it? You know, curious, curious about other people in your life. I think that is just the posture that we want to um, we want to enter into when we are beginning to engage in this midlife rebirth. Let me be curious about myself. Let me be curious about what I like, what I dislike. Let me be curious about what it would be like to say, no, I would rather not eat there tonight. Let me be curious because out of curiosity, we, we gain permission, we gain freedom, we eventually gain insight. And then with that insight, we gain change um, in our life. So I would just say, begin to be curious about yourself. Tell the listeners where they can find you. You can find me on my website, MaisieRobinson.com. You can also find me on my counseling practices website, which is CultivateAtlanta.com. If you would like to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook. My handle is CultivateAtlanta. Uh, I post every day um, inspirational thoughts, educational thoughts. Sometimes I try to be funny. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it <laughs> me too. Um, me too. It doesn't always work. <laughs> okay. uh, but yes, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Cultivate Atlanta. And I, so I'm all those places. Thank you again. It was wonderful having you. I, I tend to um, find my guests and you found me and I think it was meant to be. And I'm, I'm really happy that you came on the show today. And uh, as usual, if anybody has any questions for Maisie, um, you can either send them to me at it's not a crisis at Gmail, um, or you can contact Maisie directly. Yes, that sounds great. And thank you again for having me. This has been a treat. You're welcome. Take care. You too. Take care.